Welcome to the Global Research News Hour. I'm Steve Lindman, brought to you by GlobalResearch.ca. That friendly, engaging, avuncular, and distinct voice that just greeted you belongs to a man who found a new and unfamiliar calling. Even though he has lived a full life, going to Harvard, serving in the U.S. military for two years, securing an MBA from the Horton School at the University of Pennsylvania, and then working as a marketing research analyst for seven years before then working in business for more than three decades, the bright lights of news and political analysis erupted a few years after the lights in a person's life are supposed to be fading in their retirement years. This individual shone that light across the United States and around the world through independent media, including frequent print articles, a few books, and radio. And he earned fans and loyal listeners of all ages and won awards starting well into his 70s. My name is Michael Welch, and this is the Global Research News Hour, a weekly radio program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. Our shows are features on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. The program was produced on the traditional territory of Nishinabe, Ininu, Oji Nene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation, the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. On the show this week, we will be spending the next hour investigating the late journalistic career of an accomplished journalistic figure, Stephen Lendman. He passed away in May of 2023. However, with his views so well pronounced, in numerous press articles on his blog and in the many radio shows that he produced, it is almost difficult not to imagine what he would be saying at the present time in the face of the latest maneuver to deny Trump a presidential candidacy, the attempts to disguise Ukraine's continuing losses in the war with Russia, or the efforts to wage a full genocide against Gaza. The show will feature past audio of this radio show, as well as features with him on other people's programs, and we talk to several individuals who can speak to their own experiences of knowing him. One of those individuals, of course, is none other than Michel Chosodovsky, a professor emeritus at the University of Ottawa, he's also the author of 13 books. He's a contributor to the Encyclopedia Britannica. And he is founder and director of the Centre for Research on Globalization, based in Montreal, and an editor of Global Research. Stephen Lenman was published extensively on Global Research. Professor Chosodovsky talks about the circumstances through which he connected with Stephen. I started reading his website and uh, and then I invited him to come and and um, we, well we cross posted his writings and I, I should mention he was an extremely astute analyst of of current events geopolitics 
very much committed to human values. Uh, it's extremely diversified, but it, it's linked up with issues of, of um, uh, poverty, uh, analysis of unemployment, analysis of famine, um, economic analysis, uh, uh, and and uh, what Ledman provided um, in articles, which were generally very short, is a uh, is precise information on things which were happening, uh, and. I, I I could point to some of his latest read the writings, which uh, in the year uh, twenty twenty, uh, he he was among the first to actually identify the impacts of the so called uh, Corona crisis. In other words, the lockdown, the confinement, and all that 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 people have gone through, and then immediately. He identified that in that one in four families in the United States uh, were uh, categorized as experiencing food insecurity. It's not famine, but it, it, in other words, it's the number of food insecure households with children, and it was nearly thirty percent. And it was Stephen Lenman who who was reviewing all the sources in, in, in that regard. And I, I myself uh, was referring to his writings because I was also doing research on that, on, on, in, in that period. But what I think is remarkable in Stephen is that, first of all, and that's his, fa that's his history, he, um, he was... He had a degree from Harvard, and then he had a degree from uh, University of Pennsylvania in business admin. And then he entered, and he was a businessman. He had a family. There was a family of uh, a company to which he managed. And it was only in his the latter part of his life that he started uh, writing extensively and researching extensively. And uh, there was an element of courage and commitment behind this because at the same time he was he had a health problem a very serious health problem immune system which required very frequent and regular uh, medical attention and in 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 essence he was very much confined to he was living alone he would go to see his doctor uh, a couple of times a week. And, and then I was in touch with him. And he, of course, he shared the, the fact that he, he uh, you know, that he had impediments to, to actually doing this, uh, this, um, uh, th this writing. But in fact, he, he said that it was his commitment to uh, his commitment to writing up and analyzing and looking into the to the the social situation the social inequalities the unemployment the the you know the the bankruptcies but also the wars 
which was spreading out in in the in the post uh, 9/11 period, Iraq, uh, Palestine, and so on. Starting in 2001, Michelle Chostovsky had published over 1,800 articles, which consumed over 31 pages in the archives. The Global Research News Hour has been a weekly show since late 2012 and takes up nine pages in the archives. Stephen Lenman has so many articles published on global research going back to 2006 that they take up fully 63 pages in the archives, seven times as many as Global Research News Hour, and twice as many as Chosodovsky himself. Stephen Lenman is perhaps was one of the most prolific journalists in in uh, in American history, independent journalists in American history. In that, in the course of uh, well, in the course of several years, but he was he was with us for, as you said, he was with us with for about more than fifteen years, and in the course of that period. He brought out three thousand two hundred articles. Now that the, it, it's and all of those articles, they were short, concise, and people went to to read him precisely because they were informative, but they were also sending a message, and it was always a message uh, in in relation to uh, you know to um, uh, humanity and and people both in America and all over the world. So that is really what I recall of, of Stephen, this tremendous commitment uh, to, uh, to people, uh, in his, not only in his entourage, he was living in Chicago, but, but uh, throughout the world. Uh, and um, if he had been alive today, he would have been at the forefront of the solidarity movement uh, in uh, in support of, of the people of Palestine. Now the latest reports is that he is dead. Do you think they actually intended to take him alive in the first place? Well, I am very skeptical of every so-called official report, Kevin, whether it's from the NTC, whether it's from Washington, any of the he other... He also media. has been interviewed by people from from RT, from uh, press TV, and, uh, you know, all the independent outlets. What do you think drew, you know, knowledge of him to their attention? Was it the, uh, the, the things he was posting online, like any particular issues, or is it just his presence as an, you know, speaking out as an independent journalist? Well, what, what do you think was behind that? Well, I, I think that, um, uh particularly the international media uh he had i i i haven't followed extensively his his interviews but uh but people read his articles and on the basis of that they would contact him either by email or otherwise and 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 very frequently uh journalists would call up global research and then i i would refer them to stephen but they were very much familiar with his writings because they were coming out almost on a daily basis and 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 he was very much independent uh and he was committed to the truth uh and 
and uh, I I should mention that he was also uh, he also received the gold medal of the of the Mexican um, uh, Club of Journalists uh, in Mexico City. Um, uh, an outstanding the recognition of his of his contributions uh and um and i recall when he went he he actually uh even despite his health conditions he went down to mexico and uh and he received he received the the medal from the mexican uh, press club uh, which also had a a commitment to um, to real journalism, independent journalism, uh, and I, I, I recall uh, that uh, many of the of the journalists in Mexico, which are members of the club, they had received, uh, they were threatened by the uh, both by the politicians, but also by the drug cartels, and um, and and. Uh, the Mexican press uh, club of journalists took a stance, and 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 they were familiar with Stevens' um, writings, and, and and some of his writings were translated into Spanish. So there we are. We have a we have we have to build his legacy. He is not, you know, he is not um, a personality which. Um, there are many personalities which in fact are endorsed by US foreign policy and by and by the political parties. Uh, but uh, Stephen Lenman was beyond that. He wasn't he wasn't a personality like, you know, uh, like Jeffrey Sachs, okay, <laughs> but but Stephen Lenman was committed. Was he was he led a very modest life. He had a health problem, and and he managed to spread the word worldwide. That is his legacy, and I think we have to reflect now on this archive of articles. It's on us. It's on our website. Um, I went through it just a few days ago, and then I, I said, oh, this is absolutely incredible. He's, he's got more than 3,000 articles, and, and that probably is not all of them because we didn't publish everything that he, that he, that he wrote. Uh, but there you are. Uh, it's, he's an author, an American author. Uh, and his legacy is there, and uh, and and when we talk about the legacy, um, what's important is that his legacy must live, and and there's a tremendous amount of of analysis and information in his writings. He all, of course, he brought out a book on Ukraine, which which uh, that was with clarity, and and th that was also very important. And he did this at a time when he was already in his 80s, okay? He was already in his 80s, and he had a, a, he had a health problem, uh, he, which was very serious. And nonetheless, he prevailed. Uh, and, and, uh, and I think we have to acknowledge this important legacy of him as a, 
as an individual, as a committed personality um, at a time where we have to look into the wave of, dif of disinformation. Um, he understood very clearly uh, that when the lie becomes the truth, uh, there's no moving backwards. Uh, he was committed to the truth. He was committed to independent media. He was committed to dialogue. And he, and it was an analysis. It, it was empirical research. It wasn't simply philosophical concepts. So that this was really, if you look at his writings, you'll see how how concrete and documented he was in in uh, in, uh, in in that regard. Stephen Lenman was more than a print journalist. He had also invested countless hours as a radio host and producer. He got involved in producing radio broadcasts for the Republican Broadcasting Network in 2008 and 2009. He later joined the Progressive Radio Network and hosted the Progressive Radio News Hour. This is the show where he reached out to several interviews and had some of them return a number Greetings, of times. Stephen. It's so great to be talking to you. Alan, it really is a joy for me to be on with you. What I really liked about your interviews, you're, you're so supportive. I mean, you're really passionate about your views. You're passionate about Greece. Um, do you want to summarize in a nutshell what your sense is of what's going on there? Oh, I've written sporadically about re Greece since uh, the troubles began there about five, six years ago, Ellen. One of his favorite guests on the show was Ellen Brown. Ellen is an attorney and also well-known as chair of the Public Banking Institute. She's author of 13 books, including Web of Debt, The Public Bank Solution, and Banking on the People, Democratizing Money in the Digital Age. Ellen Brown also co-hosts a radio program of her own on PRN.FM called It's Our Money. She talked about how she came in contact with Stephen. <laughs> I was trying to remember that myself. He interviewed me. I I checked my website and he actually interviewed me 57 times. And the first time was in the fall of 2008, November 2008. And I just published my first book on banking, Web of Debt, in 2007, which I'd worked on for six years. Before that, I was writing on alternative healthcare, And um <clears throat> So he interviewed me like once a month for the next five years or so. And then in the spring of 2009, he did a six-part series on Web of Debt, which was quite lengthy. I mean, he went into a lot of detail. I guess he must have just taken notes as he read or something. But anyway, it was all very supportive and very nice. And for, at, at that time, I was terrified of public speaking. I mean, all my life I've been terrified of it. I consider myself a writer, not a speaker. Um, if you write, you know, you just pull material out of different sources and put your own take on it. And, you know, I mean, you've got your material in front of you. But for speaking on a talk show, I never knew if I would... Uh, what I knew, you know, you, you don't know what you're going to remember until you open your mouth and it comes out. So it's like walking a tightrope because if I if I looked down, I'd start to panic and then I'd forget what I was 
saying so I you know just focus on the on the goal but so Stephen was like really supportive in uh, in talk shows where he would do half the talking and um you know he would ask very supportive say very flattering things and um ask very supportive things and it was like he was never um it was never contradictory. It was always sort of like a, we're working together to figure out some great global problem. So it was, he was a great uh, bolster of my own confidence in public speaking and in, you know, in the whole thing, writing everything. So we interviewed him three times. And I know the last time I contacted him to, for an interview, he said he just didn't, you know, just couldn't do it anymore. He wasn't feeling well. He had, he was sick for a number of years and he lived to be 89. So um, that was pretty good that he he kept writing all that time, you know, he kept writing articles, but he did switch from writing about financial things to more geopolitical things. So it wasn't really my line anyway, but, but I was quite impressed that he managed to keep busy while he wasn't feeling good and while he was getting, you know, on in years and, so anyway, I think he was a great man. He was definitely, he's very intelligent. He, he was educated at Harvard and um, a great activist and wasn't afraid to speak his mind. I mean, he <laughs> said things that I, I, I would be afraid to say in public. But anyway, you know, he's, he said it like he saw it. And um, he had some pretty penetrating insights on things. Did he have a role in actually encouraging you to to host your own show? Well, only in the sense that um, that he gave me the confidence to actually speak rather than just write. And it was actually Gary Null who it was our show is on his PRN, um, uh, whatever you call it, station, and uh, he wanted more women on as a host and so I contacted Walt who is on our PBI board and because there was no way I was going to do it alone but he said oh no we should we could do it together he said I'll do the backup stuff so he does all the technical stuff and but we both do the interviews now so anyway it's good yeah well what unique qualities did he bring to journalism do you think well um he was a better writer earlier. I know toward the end he was writing sort of choppily, but um, he wrote two books on finance and two books on, I think one on Iraq and one on Ukraine. The two on finance were called How Wall Street Fleeces America. I mean, you can see just from the title <laughs> that he was very outspoken. And uh, Bank Your Occupation was the second one. So. Um, he's a very good writer, and uh, he uh, he you know made some very poignant points, very hard hitting points. I guess direct. He was a direct speaker. And what what are his unique abilities as a person? Uh, well, for me, I just felt he was so intelligent and supportive, and uh, a very good speaker. And just, um, you know, a very kind man, a very good man. Mm. 
Do you have a, a favorite memory of him? I mean, now that he's gone, is there a memory that sticks out in your mind that you look at back to that this you know, embellishes all of these qualities or some of them? Well, I just remember generally being interviewed by him and that it was a really supportive and good experience. Okay. Well, what else would you like to add that, that truly capture his life, his vision, and his legacy? Well, <laughs> I, I just think he was a great activist. Um, he was a great role model for getting out there and expressing what you believe and doing what you can to change things. He was a... Uh, I was like, it's too bad he's passed away, but you wouldn't want to wish someone who wasn't feeling well to, you know, 89 is a very, very good age to live to. It's 10 yeah. years longer than my dad lives. So anyway, I, th I think he's probably still up there watching and <laughs> in arena. Welcome to PRN's Progressive Radio News Hour. I'm Steve Lenman. Uh, good to have Ellen Brown back again. We'll talk about the economy, everything in it that's rotten. I also absolutely have to mention Ellen's newest book, uh, When Ellen Comes On. Earlier we talked extensively about Web of Debt, and the natural follow-up to Web of Debt is the public bank solution from austerity to prosperity, and Ellen nails it cold. She tells the story cold. She tells the story the way everybody needs to understand it. And Ellen, you've got a couple of new articles, and maybe I can preface it uh, by a couple of comments that Paul Craig Roberts made in, I believe, his newest article. Uh, I mean, he was in the heart of the beast, Ellen, uh, back in the 1980s, treasury official under, under Ronald Reagan. How about a Reagan treasury official talking like this, Ellen? American capitalism itself is an illusion. <laughs> All financial mm -hmm. markets are rigged, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and so on. Well, that's telling it like it is, and Ellen, you should tell it like it is. And your two newest articles that I have, unless you've got something a little newer, Wall Street greed, not too big for a California jury, and glo the global banking system is rigged, and the FDIC <laughs> is suing. Well, I say hit them again harder. Ellen, <laughs> talk about your newest articles and the fact that we have, we have a rotten, corrupted, corroded system I mean, it just needs to disintegrate under its own weight. I think maybe if we give it a little push, it's going to happen one of these days. Global research has tackled a number of hot topics, and Stephen's range in topics he likes to explore is just about as wide as that of global research. He's criticized the war on terrorism and has interviewed members of the 9-11 Truth Movement. He's criticized Russiagate, He's criticized Israeli apartheid policies against the Palestinians. He criticized the U.S. banking system and their control of money that allowed them to enrich themselves, collude with government, and build asset bubbles while the masses of the population paid the price with debts. He has been a singular force of criticism of NATO and wrote against the U.S.-driven conflicts in Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Yemen, Syria, and Ukraine by the United States. He's also fiercely defended the Latin American countries in the sights of U.S. hegemonic interests and has torn to shreds mainstream media reporting 
keeping these plans camouflaged by the responsibility to protect innocent civilians from the brutality of regimes which the U.S. happens not to control. He has even written about problems with the COVID-19 pandemic narrative. Stephen Lenman was clearly seeing world conflicts through the lens of power and seeing through instruments of propaganda and news that must be contorted to fit the mainstream narrative. My name is Michael Welch, and you are listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. This week, we are paying tribute to the journalistic work of independent media personality Stephen Lenman, who started the work we have been profiling after he had turned 70. It is no wonder that Stephen Lenman eventually got the attention of Project Censored, the media education project that has been aware of the role of corporations in shaping and directing news coverage in profound ways and that exposes and opposes news censorship and promotes independent investigative journalism, media literacy, and critical thinking. Peter Phillips is a past director of Project Censored, a co-author and editor of 14 censored yearbooks from 1997 to 2011. He is also an emeritus professor of political sociology at Sonoma State University and the author of Giants, the Global Power Elite from Seven Stories Press and the upcoming book, Titans of Capital. Banker Occupation. Waging Financial War on Humanity, How Wall Street Fleeces America, Privatized Banking, Government Collusion, and the Class War, and the book that we'll be talking somewhat about today, Flashpoints in Ukraine, How the U.S. Drive for Hegemony Risks World War III. Stephen, welcome. Peter, Mickey, it's really a delight to be on with you. So much to talk about. All these issues, my God. I don't know how I stay calm dealing with this, these things. Maybe you ask yourselves the same questions. Global research prob- probably was the first place I saw his writings, and I was publishing there as well. He spoke about how he became familiar with Stephen and about the work that got him acknowledged by Project Censored. We became connected when he won a Project Censored award. Um, it's published in the Censored 2009 book, and his article was in 2008. And the, the story was on the security and prosperity partnership um, agreements, which the Bush administration was trying to kind of push through um, without congressional approval. They ran into some trouble on that. But essentially, the story was about Canada and the U.S. Uh, and Mexico Um agreeing that U.S. troops could be anywhere uh, if it was, you know, had to do with security and and fighting terrorism or, you know, the global war on terror. Um, And Stephen, like many of us, um, realized that that was just absolutely a false declaration. It was just a movement to empower the U.S. even stronger, um, using military power worldwide. And He took a a strong position against that. Do you all see the Godfather films? Do you remember the scene, and it might have been the second one, where the mafia bosses uh, are sitting around uh, Havana, Cuba on a patio, 
and there's a birthday cake, and they're slicing up the cake, and they're handing out slices. Well, the cake is the big pie of all of the benefits, and the slices are all going to them, and nothing is going to the ordinary people, which are the great majority of us, all of us sitting here today. Well, this is what they want incrementally, and they're getting more and more as they strip away our rights, they destroy our social services, and they need to do this to be able to give the big corporate interests what they want. He was censored story number two out of 25, out actually out of thousands, but uh, um, that was a high ranking in, in our system. So he's we have a yearbook from 2009 that he's listed in. Yes. And I when we worked with him on um, the, the um, book that he did on Ukraine, so that that was kind of pleasant. So we got to we worked together. We went and visited with him in in uh, Chicago, which was which which was very pleasant. And um, I just totally support his work and ideas. He's a he's in many ways he's a macro political sociologist like I am, and uh, he understood the implications of various things that were happening in society in the context of power inequality um and ca and and capital on money mm. and um so so i was very, we were very politically compatible well it's it's very interesting that he established his accolades a decade before or a decade after retiring from a job as a marketing research analyst what, right, what right. struck you about him as a journalist and as an individual? Well, he, I, I hadn't realized that until I reread re his bio uh, preparing for today that, you know, he had a long career and um, kind of marketing and, and kind of supporting capitalism in many ways. Yet he really understood the, the threats of, of capitalism, uh, wealth concentration, inequality, um, power elites and uh and the transnational capitalist class that this is not only occurring in the US but it's global and uh and it has and it impacts everything including um what was going on in Ukraine when he wrote about it and that's continued of course to this day um and and developed fully i mean he was worried about that Ukraine becoming a, a war um back in 2015 and uh, recognized that that was uh, uh, a big threat. And of course, that manifested itself. And the U.S. has been um, trying to expand global capital by investing in Russia, having a regime change there. Um, and um, that's ongoing. Yeah, you, you mentioned it, writing for the book uh, Flashpoint in Ukraine, which he was editing. Um, so in a sense, I guess the, the, the is that you changed roles where he's the editor and you're the contributor i mean could you maybe talk about the uh the experience of of yourself in relation to him in that well way? i he we wrote uh three of us from sonoma state or affiliated with project censored uh mickey huff myself and nolan higdon wrote a piece on um <clears throat> on ukraine in the context of the transnational capitalist class and uh, that I was working on the book Giants, the Global Power Elite, and that focuses on the interconnectedness of elite capitalists through um, capital management companies in particular, 
like BlackRock and Goldman Sachs and 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 many of those that are trillion dollar investment capital co companies. Um, back then, the top seventeen had forty nine trillion dollars. Um, today, the top ten have fifty trillion dollars, so it's doubled in concentration. And BlackRock, of course, is is the number one, and BlackRock is now the official um, investment advisor for Ukraine, and uh, will be doing the development work at the at the end of the war. Uh, we talked often uh, during that period. We had him on our radio show um, twice, um, and uh, he did a really great job with that. Um, and because we were um, a lot thinking along the same lines, he he gave me advice on. The, on giants and we're writing that and he i think he signed the letter to the global elite uh that's at the end of uh, giants book mm. and in that back and so he will be republished again at least his name will be um oh. as part of uh the the new book on titans of capital i remember we had a lunch together with he and my wife and i and um there was very little that i, I can't think of anything that we didn't really understand I mean, a lot of people don't understand transnational capitalism or cap or the capitalist class worldwide. And Stephen totally had it down. And um, that, to me, um, was probably my strongest and most connected uh, relationship with him. And um, we visited him in his home. And uh, so that was I deliberately wanted to do that because I knew that we were uh, extremely politically compatible. And uh, that felt really good to, to engage in that way. And I was impressed too, because I knew he was 15 years older than me and um, he, he was still going strong. And he had an oblig, he felt he had a, 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 an op moral obligation to the people that read his work to continue to produce and to continue to send those messages. Um, and he had the blog online. So um, I was pretty impressed by that. I mean, he he could have just retired and gone off fishing or something, but uh, that was not Stephen. When he passed, I was not aware that he was having the difficulties that he had, but uh, I knew uh, that even up to the last, he continued to write and produce materials um, that were extremely informative and very valuable. So I read I read his work all the time, and um, and used it. Uh, in my understandings of, of global capitalism and where it was headed. Mm. Okay, Peter, uh, I really appreciate your uh, contribution. Thank you very much for Thank you, Michael. I, I'm happy to do this. I miss him a lot. I think he was an, an incredible scholar and a, an incredible uh, humanitarian. Stephen Lenman wrote four books, The Iraq Quagmire, The Price of Imperial Arrogance in 2007, How Wall Street fleeces America, privatized banking, government, collusion, and class war, published in 2011, banker occupation, waging financial war on humanity in 2012, and edited Flashpoint in Ukraine, How the U.S. Drive for Hegemony Risks World War III. This last one came out within a few months of the coup taking place in Kiev in 2014. At a time when the Western press laid out indications that Russia had invaded Crimea, 
Stephen Lenman and his contributors had a very different version of events. Among the many contributors were 22 respected geopolitical analysts, including Edward Herman, Michael Hudson, John Cozy, Mahdi Darius Nazamroya, Cynthia McKinney, James Petrus, Peter Phillips, John McMurtry, Michael Parenti, Paul Craig Roberts, Jack Rasmus, and of course, Michelle Chosodovsky. And there was also Rick Rosoff. He's an activist, author, and he manages the Antebellum and For Peace Against War website. How did you first come in contact with Stephen Lenman? Well, that's a good question. I'm not quite sure how. I wrote to him. I was following his articles, and uh, I can remember now exactly uh, what the circumstances were. It was after the War of uh, 8808, as it was referred to, the war in the South Caucasus when Georgia invaded South Ossetia. Uh, resulting or triggering, uh, resulting in or triggering a war with Russia. And shortly thereafter, I was searching for people who uh, seemed to understand the significance of it. And and Lineman was just that man. He wrote a really insightful and incisive uh, uh, analysis of it. And I wrote to him. Uh, you know, at that time you could do that. People's uh, email addresses are pretty readily available. And uh, we established contact from there on in, and I would share information with them. And I forget exactly the mechanism through which he eventually invited me to appear on his radio program. Uh, but I did so fairly regularly, you know, several times, a good half dozen, maybe more like a dozen. Um, and anyone who's spoken with him, and I imagine anyone who's met him, uh, you can't help but develop, uh, you couldn't help but developing a real fondness uh, for him, and an, as well as an admiration for his talents and his commitment. But it was through a, an email I sent in regard to his analyzing the Georgian Russian War of 2008 that led to our uh, contact. Well, you said you inter he interviewed you a few times as a, as a host of the Progressive Radio News Hour. What were your thoughts about the questions he asked and, and about his work as a journalist? Could you say a little more about that? Yeah, he was uh, self-taught as a journalist, as am I. And, uh, but what he had to draw upon is, is clearly decades of, of reading, of analysis, accumulating knowledge, of uh, you know, fine-tuning or honing down his analytical skills. But he also, and I, I want to emphasize this as much as anything else, he also brought a great deal of humanity to, to everything he did. He, he was a moral person. Uh, there are many people on the web who are, you know, we uh, appreciate because they they can bring to us knowledge we didn't have or uh, present it to us in such a manner that it wouldn't have occurred to us and so forth. And he could do all of those things and and more. But at the same time, uh, he was he was morally hurt. He was offended by injustice. You know, whether internationally or, or locally or domestically, uh, it really hurt him that uh, people with power abused people without power. If I could uh, sum up uh, what I. Uh, you know, gained uh, appreciated his personality. Uh, he wasn't somebody who was uh, for whom uh, international politics or domestic um, were a uh, sort of avocation or hobby. It, this this for him was was uh, you know um, a real moral commitment, and and, and people sense that with him. Uh, you were dealing with a genuine article. I you know I, sometimes you can't say that, but in his case, it was assuredly the case. 
Yeah, well, what, just what were what were some extra examples of the uh, the conflicts that you know hit him so hard and that he'd write about? You know, I don't know where where he didn't uh, do it. You know, and by the way, I want to say that when he challenged power, as he did repeatedly, um, he did so in a way that reflects, uh, you know, Michel Chazodowski of Global Research's uh, coining of the term manufacturing dissent. Uh, that is. Uh, Lenman never told the line about what he was allowed to say. And uh, I, without being too controversial, uh, you know, a lot of people who claim to be critics of the system and so forth know how far they can go. Uh, and your listeners will know what I'm referring to and can cite examples. But, you know, Lenman never did that. He, uh, Michael, um, you know, was brave enough uh, and morally committed enough that if something was happening domestically where it wasn't uh, advantageous for him to take a certain position, he but it was right to do so, he did. So, you know, he had that about him. And uh, I don't want to go off into too many of the domestic issues because these may, you know, sow divisions amongst even listeners here. But um, but he, he was he had that degree of integrity. And uh, in, in that sense, he set a standard against which, you know, many times I had to struggle to rise. Uh, to meet, uh, because there, there are times I um, I took the easy way out. He didn't. Uh, the other thing I should say that people who knew him in his virtual existence uh, had had a very deep respect for him, but also a deep affection, as, as I'm intimating, I hope. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of uh, Sohela Godsey, who was a, a journalist with Press TV and was very, a very darling person. It was very attached to her father, who she's lost. And when Stephen was sick, was ill and hospitalized and incommunicado several years ago, I don't know how many, maybe eight, 10 years ago. And I remember Sohela, you know, just desperately reaching out to me as I lived in Chicago also, uh, you know, to try to find out about him. And it wasn't because she wanted him on her show. It's because she really missed him. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had an attachment to him that I imagine a lot of people did. Um, you know, almost as though, you know, he were uh, her father, right? Um, and I, I've known that from, you know, other people who, who knew of him, you know, had interactions with him. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's not how many articles you've published or uh, how many revelations you've made only. It's, it's uh, you know, what sort of example you set for people. And, uh, you know, my plea would be, or my assessment would be that uh, in addition to everything he accomplished, he set an example of what a human being should be. You got in touch with him, or he got in touch with you on Flashpoint on Ukraine. Uh, could you ask maybe what was what was it like to work with him as a com contributor? Your pleasure. <laughs> I, what can you say? Uh, you know, he would gently suggest modifications or, or adjustments or, you know, whatever. Uh, never critical, never uh, denigrating, um, you know, uh, uh, kind of avuncular, I guess. If I had to think of one word to describe him, I think that would be it. You know, he's he's like the affectionate and protecting uncle that uh, all of us wish we had had if we didn't. And um, But he put, this is strictly on his initiative, by the way, and it, I, we have to recall the time in which it came out. You know, it was uh, extremely timely. Uh, it was at a point where uh, not many people in the West really cared at all about what was happening in the Ukraine and the war in the Donbass. And, uh, you know, he was astute enough and he was far-seeing enough to, I think, appreciate the significance of where it was heading. Uh, and then he assembled, as you as you know, a, a, a list of contributors that I'm very proud to be in the company of. Um, and he did this entirely 
on his own initiative. And he did it, uh, you know, assigning each of us a, a topic so that the, the book as a whole reflected the multifaceted nature of the, of the crisis in Ukraine. Um, it was prophetic, of course, as we now know. Stephen, um, Is is the you know the uh, uh, the person behind this volume? All the credit belongs to him. I'm sure he has didn't make a penny from it. If anything, probably uh, you know shelled out his own money to to get the book published. And uh, this was a time, uh, uh, Michael, <laughs> where uh, you might recall it was uh, next to impossible to generate any interest in the Ukraine situation uh, in the West. I, I found that to be the case. And, um, you know, people, I think, downplayed it or ignored it or didn't say it's significance or didn't care. Um, and uh, contrary-wise, of course, Stephen, you know, uh, caught the significance, just as he did, you know, in what is arguably a warm-up exercise to the to the war in Ukraine that, uh, that I mentioned earlier between Georgia and Russia in 2008, uh, when he was on top of that as well. So he, ha he had a very keen uh, eye. Uh, for what was, uh, you know, a, a trend or a pattern or, or something worth uh, paying attention to, because I think he understood the strategic significance and particularly the geostrategic uh, significance of the situation in Ukraine. You know, he was the most down-to-earth, unpretentious fellow. Uh, and, and what I'm really listing off uh, is is an inventory of, of um, you know, uh, personality characteristics I would like to have. Uh, and I saw them in him. And uh, so there was there was admiration for him on a number of fronts, as I've alluded to, uh, you know, his ability, his knowledge, his uh, communication skills, you know, everything that anyone who knew him uh, more or less superficially would understand. But in my direct interactions with him, which included email communication as well as, you know, the radio programs, um, he, he was somebody who um, epitomized or personified you know the healthier characteristics that uh, that uh, people have striven for 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 centuries, right? Uh, not just to be enlightened, but to be concerned. Not just to be knowledgeable, but to be ethically committed. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be grandiose by comparing him to Plato, Socrates, but that would be maybe as close as I could get. It's rather paradoxical that he seemed to wear his heart on his sleeve. I mean, there wasn't anything he he would hold back about himself yet um i neither learned very much about his say his family life or if i did i've forgotten to be honest but i don't know for a fact uh for example if he'd ever been married or had children you know i don't remember that coming up though it's possible um and he lived in a uh, high-rise building in right across from water tower place for anyone who knows chicago it's called the miracle mile um i knew that i knew where he lived but if, when he was in the hospital, for example, and people from other countries and the opposite side of the, the world, in many instances, were asking me because I lived in Chicago where he was, you know, how he was doing and so forth. I really didn't know how to find that out. We did, there were no third parties or, or you know, common acquaintances. Uh, and I don't say that he was being, uh, you know, secretive in any way. I, I suppose the same thing could be said about me. I, you know, I'm a bachelor. I live alone. Um and if I were to disappear, I'd, I don't know who would uh, be able to tell someone about it. So I, I, uh, it just may be circumstance uh, that uh, we didn't know. I don't even know, for example, if he was a native Chicagoan. And, and a lot of this, I have to confess, it goes back 
since I knew him in 2008, so it, it goes back some 15 years. And there are many things he may have said in passing that I can't recollect, but uh, I don't know that we had any common acquaintances. I can't recall any. I never met him. Um, but we spoke uh, either through email or on, on uh, radio, uh, you know, often enough that I, th I think we know each other pretty well. But um, otherwise, you know, I, I've intimated uh, to you that uh, when you complete this, uh, you know, this praiseworthy uh, project, this tribute to him, um, for which, you know, I thank you very much. He's truly worthy of it. That uh, somehow I wish there were family members and other people who knew him, um, you know, who could have access to it. Because if they didn't know uh, about this, these facets of his life uh, and his personality, I think that they would be very gratified to learn them. He was one that I looked forward to the interviews. I mean, I knew I was going to have a good time. And I don't mean to make light of serious topics, right? It wasn't like we were... Uh, speaking casually about unimportant things. But I knew that in the course of talking about uh, sometimes very grave matters, nevertheless, the conversation would be friendly, would be uh, engaged, would be uh, warm. Okay. Flashpoint in Ukraine, along with two other books, was published by Clarity Press. This is Stephen Lenman on Project Censored News explaining the process of putting it together and of his relationship with Clarity Press editorial director Diana Collier. It really began when I asked my Clarity editor, Diana Collier, is Clarity planning to do anything on Ukraine? And I would imagine that the discussion came up because she jumped on the idea right away and just threw it right back at me and said, would you be interested in editing a book on Ukraine? And I said, well, I haven't thought of editing, but it really is a good idea. We could get together with a lot of fine people like you, Peter, and you, Mickey, and put together a book explaining to people exactly what's going on in Ukraine and why it's important and why it matters. Because if you stop somebody on the street and you mention Ukraine, probably most people's eyes would glaze over. They wouldn't know what Ukraine was. Oh, is that a country? Well, I didn't realize that, let alone where it is or what's going on there. And yet it really is the case where Ukraine is being used as a dagger by America pointed at Russia's heartland with the danger of serious confrontation between the two countries that could either accidentally or on purpose develop into a war. That's why Ukraine is important. Diana Collier had a few kind words to say about Stephen. Stephen Lenman was indefatigable in his pursuit of human justice issues. And due to that, his easily accessible and popular writing style, he attracted a large following. He carried on in sickness and in health returning to his mission with barely time to catch his breath after a major illness and hospitalization. It seemed like few issues related to both domestic and foreign concerns escaped his penetrating commentary, and he backed that up with unimpeachable references. Clarity Press published three of his books, How Wall Street Fleeces America, Banker Occupation, and Flashpoint in Ukraine. The first two of those books saw Chinese editions, while years after its publication, and sadly indeed after he had passed away, a Japanese edition of Banker Occupation was also published. That he made his mark is indicated 
by the very fact that you are devoting this program to commemorating him. We at Clarity Press surely thank you for that. Another individual who met Stephen Lenman and considered him a friend was Mahdi Darius Nazamroya. Two of them went to Mexico in December of 2011 to receive awards from the Mexican Press Club. He wrote the following to me earlier this week. In Mexico, we were not at any conference. It was an actual awards ceremony, and actually one of the top award ceremonies for journalism in the Spanish-speaking world. The awards there are similar to what Pulitzers are in the United States for journalists or Hollywood Oscars for actors. So, it was an honor for both of us. Stephen was given a reward for his prolific writing on his blog. I forget what exactly his award was for. My reward was as a war correspondent and came at the same time the Federation of Latin American Journalists also made special mention of my work, as did the Pacifico Network. Stephen Lenman were involved in several different projects together. The last time I saw him was in the U.S., and I think maybe once in Montreal, Canada. He were involved in different things together over the years. He was a Harvard alumni and a fervent anti-Zionist Jew that opposed Israel. He donated earnings he made to good causes before he got sick and struggled with his health. His thirst for justice was very remarkable. People can still read through a treasure trove of his work. It is located on his website at stephenlendman.org. That is it for this humble remembrance of Stephen Lendman's work on the Global Research News Hour a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe in Ninu, Oji, Cree, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The show is available online at globalresearch.ca and at other radio stations across Canada and the United States. Music was the second movement from Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Various clips came from his radio program and also the Project Censored program. I've been your host, Michael Welsh, wishing you a happy holiday season and all the best in 2024.